Hey all welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today we're going to be joined by a great guest, Mr. Clint Cantwell from AmazingRibs.com. He is one of the lead contributors to a lot of the recipes and information and articles on Amazing Ribs. And he's also part of the Pitmaster Club. And I will be back in one minute with Clint from Amazing Ribs. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. everybody welcome back to the fire and water cooking podcast i have a great guest with me today comes from amazingribs.com the number one barbecue website on the internet as far as i'm concerned please welcome clint catwell he is uh, the main guy as far as recipes and stuff go on there uh clint welcome to the podcast and go ahead and introduce yourself yeah thank you so much darren pleasure to be here how long have you been with Amazing Ribs and in, in, uh, in that position you're in right now? Uh, I believe it's coming up on three years, but Meathead and I have known each other forever. I bet we've known each other for almost a decade now. So, you know, we've uh, we've kind of run in the same circles for a very long time, and when he had a need to kind of expand the team a few years ago. He reached out to me and we've been joined at the hip ever since. So your position there is, do you do most of the recipes and stuff like that on the website? Yeah. My official title is vice president of whatever. (laughs) So if you ask me what I do, I basically do whatever. Uh, I do do, I do the majority of the recipes these days, uh, we're also significantly expanding our database of product reviews. You may know that that we have the largest database of hands-on smoker and grill reviews that are done by Max Good on the site, but we're also trying to branch out into into other products. You know, taking a look at some kitchen appliances, barbecue and grilling tools. Basically anything that that might be of interest to the audience, really trying to grow those reviews on the site. Yeah, a lot of people are mixing the you know cooking methods anymore, and and I do a lot of that with the sous vide and and smoking and grilling. So I mean, it comes to pass that you know people try to incorporate it with all different kinds of methods. So I can see a big need for your website to look at other other types of appliances that would help with that too. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, basically anything you can cook in the kitchen, you can do better on the grill. Uh, at least in my opinion, you know, there's really nothing that you can't do outside. So but trying to incorporate some of those favorite tools from the kitchen is, is definitely a way to step up your game especially since they have all these different kinds of cookers anymore, you know, with the pellet grills and, you know, the Kamado type grills. I mean, you can do so much on some of these different grills that uh, you couldn't do before. You know, everybody thinks of just, you know, being a cooking on a Weber kettle or a gas grill and, you know, you can just throw a steak or a burger on it, but there's so much more you can do anymore on, on the uh, patio. So. Oh yeah. 
no, you take, for example, my Memorial Day party. Uh, we had family and friends over, and we had three different cookers going. We did ribs on a pellet cooker. We did a, a uh, sirloin roast on a rotisserie that was set on a, a Weber kettle grill. Uh, a really cool device from Carson Rodizio. So it's basically like a rotisserie that you'd see in a Brazilian restaurant. Yeah, I've seen them. So we had that going on a Weber kettle. And then we had another Weber kettle going that we sous vide and then grilled some giant tomahawk ribeyes. And yeah, and we even finished up with dessert on the grill. So. You know, we really had a lot of different stuff going on at the same time in the backyard. Yeah, sounds great. Now, is your full-time job with Amazing Ribs, or is that just something that you do to help me head out? Or No, it's pretty much full-time. You know, we are the largest barbecue and grilling resource in the world, and you know, we actually rival many of the the top food websites as well. So it's it's definitely a full-time job for the team just keeping up with with comments you know trying to add in new engaging information recipes reviews all the time to excite the audience we've got the pitmaster club which is the paid portion of the site and that continues to grow by leaps and bounds so it's uh i'm a member it's a labor at amazing ribs I'm a member. I'm the pitmaster. I get my newsletter. <laughs> I see you write a lot of the news art, the newsletter articles as well. So, yeah, that's another one of my duties. I've recently <laughs> taken over the newsletter as well. So, well, how, again, vice president of whatever, <laughs> whatever he needs you to do. Huh? <laughs> yeah. How much? How often does Doctor Blonder get involved? Does he pretty much just do the uh, research experiments and stuff like that? Or, yeah. Uh, I don't actually know him personally. Meathead has always done uh, done all the work with him, but he's, you know, he's there when Meathead wants to really dive into the science behind some of the different methods. You know, whether whether or not to rest meat. Uh, you know, how deeply marinades penetrate the meat. You know, all of the real geek out stuff. That's that's. Uh, really interesting to the readers, but none of us are smart enough to, <laughs> to reach those conclusions on our own. I like, I like diving into a lot of that stuff because to me, I, I've been cooking for 40 years and you know, it has to make sense to me. Somebody can't just tell me you got to do it this way. Cause this is the way I've always done it. You know? Oh yeah. You know, can't, oh, you have to put mustard on ribs, you know, before you put the rub on or it won't stick and it's sure. just things like that that don't make sense. So I really love diving into his articles, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, even something as simple as soaking wood chips and wood chunks. Right. You know, we've got a, a graphic that shows a cross section of a wood chunk that's soaked for whatever, 24 hours, 36 hours. And, the actual penetration of the water is minuscule. So what's, so, what's your favorite part? All of these myths, these myths that you kind of grew up around cooking in the backyard and debunking those. Yeah, I mean, I like I like that too because, yeah, like I said, everything's got to kind of make sense to me. It has to, 
you know, it's got most, some of the stuff is black and white and you can't just tell me it's sure. some kind of magic voodoo. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. So what's your favorite part of working for uh, Amazing Ribs? Man, you know, I've, I'm a really creative minded person. So, you know, I've been creating barbecue and grilling recipes for over a decade now. And, you know, I really never, I never duplicate what I'm doing. So it's exciting for me to be able to dive in and, and to create new things that kind of excite the readers on the site. And to your point, getting them thinking outside of the ordinary, you know, trying some different things, learning new techniques, uh, trying new ingredients, all of that stuff. So I want to discuss something with you because I don't have, you know, I've talked to some other barbecue guys on my podcast before. Yeah. To me, I like all different kinds of barbecue and all different kinds of cooking styles and methods and all different, uh, you know, regional type foods and barbecue is really one of those that you can go to Texas and it's different than if you go to North Carolina or certain parts of North oh, yeah. Carolina, you know, um, yeah. even any, any region of the world as well. Yeah. You know, everyone's got their own, own method for cooking over live fire and they all have certain proteins that they use, different sauces everyone's got their own spin on it, but definitely region to region, you see it in the U S yeah. And I like, you know, people always go, well, barbecue is not grilling and grilling is not barbecue. Well, outdoor cooking is outdoor cooking to me. So if you got fire and smoke and <laughs> some kind of apparatus to cook it on, to, you know, it can be barbecue. So, <laughs> um, yep. Fire smoke. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've read up a little bit about you, and it looks like you uh, did uh, something called the American Grilled Competition on Travel Channel a couple of years back. Yeah, yeah, that was a good time. How, how was that? How was that experience being on the television show? And uh, it was fun. You know, I've done a, a few different television things. I do a, a segment on one of the TV channels here during the summer, but it's. Uh, it's always interesting. You know, this was a, a show that was kind of modeled after Chopped, where you have secret ingredients in each round, and somebody's knocked out each round until you get to the two finalists. So it was the most, most interesting thing to me was the fact that, that it was all shot in one day. So given the fact that I won, I was... I think we started at like six in the morning and it was about 10 o'clock at night by the time I finished all of the filming. So it was a long day of, of cooking and shooting, but you know, it was $10,000. So <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, how many competitors were you up against on that? We started with four. It was filmed here in, in Memphis down on Beale street. So we started with four contestants and knocked one out in the first round, uh, another one in the second round. And then it was me and a good friend of mine, Blake Carson, uh, actually the guy that, that created the Carson Rodizio that I mentioned earlier, Right. it was him and I in the final round. 
did he get to use his uh, Rodizio during the competition? They did not let him. They didn't let him use the physical thing, you know, the motorized right. thing for the skewers. But he did bring the skewers, and he was cooking with those yeah. during the competition. Gotcha. They let each person bring one special item that they could use during the competition. I think mine was a thermal pen. How many um, barbecue competitions have you been involved in yourself over the years? Uh, I used to compete a lot. Uh, you know, probably going back 14 or 15 years. You know, I worked in, in New York for 20 years working for different public relations agencies and in-house. So to me, competition barbecue was, was kind of my version of golf. Right. On the weekends, I'd, yeah, you work nonstop during the week and you want to just get out and relax. So I would go and do contests a lot of the time on my own. And, you know, you're with the same people every weekend. You get to go to different cities or whatever for the contest. And, you know, it's barbecue. So once you got got the main proteins on the smoker, it's a lot of just sitting around BSing with friends. Drinking so, beer and BSing, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, watching the fire and hanging out. So I probably used to do about a dozen or 15 contests a year. Now now I hardly do any. My competition trailer hasn't been out of the garage in years. And, you know, the only one I did so far this year was Memphis in May. How... uh how different is competition cooking compared to home cooking or just cooking for the family? Oh, it's a completely different animal. Now, the The biggest thing is that you're cooking basically for one bite. You know, the judges are judging multiple entries. So when they open up your rib box, they're really only going to take one or two bites to judge it on the taste and tenderness of that rib so that's why when you watch the competition barbecue shows you see these these guys just going over the top with with all sorts of squeeze butter and brown sugar yeah. and honey Johnny and tricks. layers and layers <laughs> yeah it's, you know it looks disgusting on tv but you're not really going to have much of a shot at winning unless you do that you want to really over flavor that one bite of, of meat so it pops in the judge's mouth. So you're more, but that said, you know, after you turn in your six or eight rib bones, you really don't want to sit down and eat the rest of, of those racks of ribs. It's, you know, it's diabetes on a bone. <laughs> so you're more looking to get their attention so they remember you more. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You're not, you're not cooking for, your friends and family in the backyard, you know, a, a traditional Texas salt and pepper brisket is not going to win at the Jack Daniels Invitational or, you know, any local KCBS contest. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I, I can't get over is that a lot of people think that, you know, competition barbecue is, you know, people, same way people should cook in their backyard. And it's just, totally different. You know, I've watched, like you said, some of those shows and you watch what they do to yeah. 
I think it's doctoring the meat or doctoring the <laughs> just all kinds of oh, yeah. you know injections and three different kinds of honey agave you know like you said parquet yeah. and eight different kinds of rubs with different profiles and you're like how can that even taste good because it's me being a cook who cook used to cook professionally back you know 20 years ago you're muddling sure. flavors you know that's one of the things they teach you is you don't want to muddle flavors you don't want to have too much flavor but it kind of seems like it's the opposite in barbecue competition so yeah and it's it's kind of sad to see because you know now the trend has gone towards these super premium wagyu briskets yeah and people are taking these gold grade snake river farms wagyu briskets and then injecting the heck out of them with all sorts of things to to make them even more beefy tasting and even more moist and then slicing them and putting a thinned out barbecue sauce on them so it's in no way shape or form even related to to true texas brisket by the time you get it in a box right i think that's one thing that um you know it was kind of always surprised me to see um people like aaron franklin judging the barbecue competitions because his brisket that he cooks at his restaurant is totally different than what they cook at uh, yeah. at these competitions so yeah and i think that's i mean i don't know for certain but i think that that had something to do with him only being on there for a season or two because you know he very much is a a purist and the stuff that a lot of those guys are doing that he has to judge you know it's hard to overcome that bias if you're a a true aficionado of of just simple meat a little bit of seasoning and fire right yeah i mean that's to me that's the judges how you well you can cook so if you could just take you know very yeah. little few ingredients and a piece of meat and some wood and smoke and charcoal and turn that thing into something super fantastic without having to uh, dump 18 different types of <laughs> seasoning mm -hmm. yeah. on it yeah 100 percent. so being part of amazing ribs you've seen just about every kind of cooker and smoker and grill that's out there what what do you kind of lean towards when you you know cook at home yourself what's your favorite type of cooker uh you know i've kind of weaned back on the back patio my wife wanted to put some furniture on the back patio god forbid that there's actually a place to sit back there so i'm I, in the same spot I'm right now yeah so i got rid of a few things i think i'm down to about 10 or 12 different things on the back patio. And it really depends on the mood that I'm in. You know, one of them starts to look a little lonely. So I'll go and cook on the pit barrel cooker because I haven't used it in a while. Uh, I've got a beautiful Komodo Kamado that's custom tile finished. And, you know, that's always fun to cook on. Uh, you know, honestly, my favorite thing to cook on is my 27 and a half inch Weber kettle because it's just very simple Weber kettle Kingsford charcoal uh, the 27 inches gives you a ton of room to play with so if you want to do like a two zone fire or you know do one or two racks of ribs on there it just gives you a a lot of room to play with so 
that's one of my favorites, but also, you know, I'm, I'm creating recipes and with that comes photos. So, you know, I'll, I'll kind of mix up the cooker just so all of my photos don't look the same. Yeah. You, so they're not all cold. Do you have a stick burner in your backyard too? Uh, I do not. No, I've got, I've got both sizes of the pit barrel cooker. I'm in between gas grills right now, but I think I went about two and a half years between refills on, on my propane tanks. So I really, even when I have a gas grill, I don't get around to using it much. Uh, I've got a, pellet cooker, three Weber kettles, uh, two Kamados, but no stick burners at the moment. Yeah, I've got, I got two Kamado Joes. I got the Big Joe and the Classic Two. I got a Camp Chef uh, pellet grill with the sear box. And I use that very rarely. So that's the only thing that's gas powered on my patio. And then I have a, well, I do have a Blackstone, a 22 inch Blackstone griddle. That's gas powered. I use that for various things, but um, most of the time I'm cooking either on the pellet grill or one of the Kamados for sure. I do have a pit barrel junior. I use occasionally for ribs or chicken or something like that. But, um, but most of the time I'm, I'm cooking on my, either one of my Kamados or, or the, the camp chef uh, pellet grill. So. Yeah. I mean, stick burners are a ton of fun, but the stuff that I have, in the bag. I also have a couple of Weber Smoky Mountains because, you know, I think those are just godsend. You know, once you dial in the temperature on those, I can keep it running for 14 hours. Right. So, you know, unlike a stick burner where you're always having to kind of play with the fire and stuff, unless you're a real pro, you know, the Jambo guys like Tuffy Stone and those guys that really know how to make them sing. That's a lot of babysitting for me. One of the things I'm kind of surprised at talking about the competition guys again is how many of them are using the pellet grills and even Myron has got his own line of pellet grills now. So, um, yeah, you know, he's still getting some of the barbecue forums where some of those hardcore stick burner guys will call them the easy bake ovens and stuff. But I'm really surprised sure. at how many people are are using these, um, you know, commercial or competition size pellet grills. So. Oh yeah, they've. I mean, pellet grills in general have just blown up in the last few years. I mean, it's that and the big green egg, or you know, the Traeger and Big Green Egg, are the the two brands that I hear more whenever I'm just out talking to neighbors and, you know, at, at events in different cities and stuff like that. People have really embraced pellet cookers and, you know, rightfully so it's, I mean, in my mind, it's the convenience of a gas grill, but you're getting the smoke flavor that you get from a charcoal grill or a stick. Burner. Yeah. I think that's the, the big thing right there. It's that convenience and they don't have to learn a whole lot about it. You know, it's like, a lot of people get scared of having to tend to fire because they get that stick burner mentality in their mind that yeah. they got to sit there and feed a, you know wood to it all the time and they can't walk away from it and they get that with the with a gas grill or a pellet grill it's you know they turn a knob 
you know, throw the meat on and walk away for a little bit. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. There's no learning curve to it. So. Right. And now they got, you know, Wi-Fi and all kinds of different options that they're doing. One of the things I like about my camp chef is it's got, you know, I can clean out the pellets real quick and change the flavor. You know, the ash dump is, you know, really easy. It's a convenience factor yeah. there is I can come home after working all day, throw some food on, be eaten in 45 minutes and not have to worry about, sure. you know, making sure the fire's out and everything, just shut it off and walk away, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing missing with most of them these days is a true sear capability because, you know, most of them are just a small little firebox that's igniting the pellets, you know, in the very center of the grill. So it's, it's hard to get that true high heat sear that you'd get on a, a really solid gas grill or you know, a charcoal grill. Yeah. Or a well, that, that's why I got the camp shift because they have a sear box that you can get that attaches to the side that that's all it's there okay. for it. You it's gas powered. You turn it on, it gets up to 900 degrees. You sear, you know, sm oh, wow. smoke it and then you sear it on the, on the little sear box and, and then you're done. So well, there you go. So what's your favorite thing to, to cook? I know that's a hard question to ask because I know I've got a few favorites, but what's your favorite, your number one thing that you like to cook when you come home on a weekend and you say, I'm going to cook my favorite food out, out on the back patio? Uh, yeah, it's hard for me because, you know, I'm just, I'm creating recipes all the time. So it's really whatever is top of mind. You know, whether it's a new burger recipe or, you know, a new twist on beef ribs or something. Uh, you know, there's really nothing that I, I've got to have at the end of a hard week. It's also difficult because I'm not like most people where I'm going to work and then grilling on the weekends. It's a way to relax. You know, I work from home and, and two or three days out of the week most weeks I'm cooking outside. So, so it's not like, you know, a, you where you come home Friday night and want to slap a, a giant ribeye on. Well, I, I work from home too. So I'm, I'm kind of like you. And also I think it depends because yeah. I know there's some people that they only like to eat certain things, you know, and they have a limited menu. Yeah. My wife's one of them. <laughs> she, she's not a big adventurer as far as food goes, but I am. So I, I'm always probably kind of like you creating my own new recipes or twists or, you know, I'll see a recipe that somebody did and I'll go, well, I'm going to kind of change it the way I, I like it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's really part of the fun. Yeah, you know, definitely. Going outside of, of the box. So you're not just doing chicken hamburgers and hot dogs, you know, the way that, that I grew up and you probably grew up with your parents or grandparents out there doing the same stuff all the time on the grill, which usually meant charred chicken with burnt on barbecue sauce. Right. Dry as a stick. Or bur burnt hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> Tasted yeah. like lighter fluid. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That's, I mean, that was grilling back in the day, you know, where everything had to be cooked well beyond well done. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like, Thank I God. like to take recipes and 
I don't use, I'm really hard at not following recipes. I look at a recipe and I use it as a baseline to kind of use it as a springboard. So how, how do you do it when you start creating your own recipes for amazing ribs? Yeah, it's pretty much the same thought process. You know, I've got a, I've got a ton, a couple hundred cookbooks in my office and I hardly ever create a recipe, actually go and cook a recipe out of those books. But I look to them for inspiration and, you know, they're not all barbecue and grilling cookbooks. They could be cookbooks on, on Italian cuisine or, you know, whatever. And putting my own twist on it or trying to take stuff that you wouldn't normally think about doing outside, even like Wednesday meatloaf at home. You know, it makes a heck of a difference if you take that meatloaf and throw it on the pellet cooker. You know, you're elevating it exponentially by doing it outside versus cooking the meatloaf in the oven. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and take a break for a minute here, and then uh, we'll come back, and then we'll discuss some other some other things that interest me and probably uh, my uh, listeners here. So we'll be back in a minute. Hey, all I want to welcome again Inkbird as our sponsor for the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Inkbird has more than just barbecue thermometers and instant read thermometers that I've talked about before. Inkbird just came out with a Wi-Fi sous vide circulator that I've been using for a few weeks now that works pretty good. It has over 1,000 watts of power. It has an app that has many times and temps for meats and vegetables. Also has onboard times and temps for meats and vegetables. Runs really quiet. Fits most regular sous vide containers that are the size of the Anovas. So check it out. Look below. There's a link with a code for 30% off of the Amazon price. That makes it under $60 right now until June 5th. So check out the Inkbird Wi-Fi sous vide circulator in the description below. Back to our program. All right, guys, we're back. I got Clint Cantwell here from AmazingRibs.com, and we had a good conversation so far. And one of the things I want to talk about, and one of the things that kind of got me started doing what I'm doing now with uh, the fire and water concept of mixing sous vide and barbecue is about three or so years ago, I ran into an article on Amazing Ribs, and I think Meathead did the, the first article on it, but I think some of the recipes on it were yours, mixing sous vide and barbecue. And it really got yeah. me intrigued because I'd never heard of sous vide before. So um, it, it got me looking into it. I actually, you know, got one for Christmas that year and started playing around with it. And I used Amazing Ribs, you know, sous vide cue section for a lot of, you know, my jumping off point. And it's kind of grown from there. Now I've got the, a YouTube channel and a Facebook group and, the podcast and stuff. So what kind of started you on it? Was it something Meathead came to you and, and talked about or? Uh, yeah, a little bit of, of that. I, I mean, I've been around sous vide for, for a while. My brother is a trained chef and had his own restaurant for a while. And, you know, sous vide is, has been around forever in the profession, professional restaurant space. So, you know, I, I kind of got my feet wet in his kitchen, you know, learning from from the head chef there, 
and you're just learning the benefits of the low and slow water bath and and why it's used so frequently in the restaurant space. And then, you know, over the last couple of years, the units themselves have, have not only decreased in price, but decreased in size because, you know, back in the day, the sous vide immersion circulators in most restaurants were huge and they were expensive. So now you can get like a jewel or an Anova for under $200 and they'll fit in your, your pullout drawer in your kitchen. So it's, it's a lot more accessible to home cooks. And, you know, I would say that maybe the Instapot is kind of taken over the top spot for the most hyped kitchen tool right now. But, you know, sous vide immersion circulators were, were definitely one of the top gifts the last couple of Christmas. Christmas is. Yeah, and I think one of the, the bad raps that sous vide gets is that people think that you can only make steaks or chicken breast or something with it. I mean, and that's one of the things yeah. I've dedicated my my whole uh, fire and water cooking concept to is showing people. I hardly ever do a steak video on my YouTube channel because there's so many of them out there people using sous vide to make steak and, you know, sous vide, everything is one of the bigger, you know, YouTube groups out there with sous vide. And I would say two out of every three videos he does is steak. (laughs) And my whole point is that you can use sous vide for so many different things. And I think once people start realizing that I've had people in my Facebook group say, well, I had my sous vide in the, you know, drawer for a year and a half. haven't used it because I thought it was only for making steak. And they pulled it out and yeah. started experimenting with it. Oh yeah, just play with cooking eggs to different degrees of doneness, or taking whole carrots and sous viding them, and then hitting them on the grill. You know, it's it's hard to get a a carrot done perfectly. You know, if you're just doing it yourself, but add sous vide to the mix, and you you can have the perfect amount of doneness and a little bit of crunch. Or even, you know, where I use it a lot is getting that, you know, pork loin to 144 degrees, you know, perfectly medium rare, or, you know, close to the more medium, and then putting yeah. a nice sear on it. And you can't do that in an Instapot. Instapot, you're cooking it to death, you know, just like you would traditional yeah. low and slow barbecue with a brisket. You got to cook it to 200 degrees or it's not tender. You know, oh, so yeah. you need, so no, Pork loin is perfect yeah. for it because you know you got no fat in there. So you know, chicken breasts yeah. and whole chickens and yeah. cooking a brisket medium rare. You know, I, I, that was one of the things that intrigued me the most is I could take a full pack of brisket, cook it to medium rare, and then finish it out on the smoker. And you know, yep. it's sure it's not the same texture as um, a low and slow, but it's different. It's something different, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And can be just as good. Oh, a hundred percent. It's you know, it's also it's pretty foolproof. I mean, if if you have a guide somewhere, you know, a recipe or something, once you know the the temperature to set it to and the amount of time, it's hands off. You, know, you can let it go overnight, let it go for a couple of days, and, and you don't have to deal with it as long as 
got some sort of lid on there to you know to keep the water from evaporating there's really no concerns unless you're in the bahamas <laughs> i will say that meathead and i ruined a ton of beautiful steaks in the bahamas because of a power surge that blew out the settings on our on our immersion circulators so they basically stopped cooking oh no when we thought that, that they were going so Two hours later, we had to throw out all those good steaks. But normally, normally, if you're in the the U.S. cooking in your kitchen, you shouldn't have any issues. Right. One of the things I've liked to experiment with as well is getting to a certain doneness and tenderness that you can play with. I mean, instead of just cooking something, you know, you can do this with like a London broil per se or a chuck roast where you can make it super tender like a uh, filet mignon or you know or a new york strip you can you can yeah. vary the degree of tenderness on that chuck roast and still make it medium oh, rare yeah. so you know that's one of the things yeah. that really people don't understand that and it kind of blows their mind once they figure that out yeah chuck ro- roast is a perfect example you can cook it to where it it's tender but it slices like a brisket or you can cook it to where it's fall apart tender and and use it for for soft ta- soft tacos or something like that. One of the things that uh, we still get, I still get, is some pushback from barbecue purists when you try to mix the two, and a lot of them are, you know, they always throw up that. Well, you don't see that. Let them use that in competition, <laughs> you know, which goes back to our competition discussion about what they do to the meat, <laughs> other than using sous vide. Yeah. And that's what I say. Well, you, they might as well with all the other stuff they let them do to the meat. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a really winning argument with everything else that goes on yeah. with the meat. To your point. So, do you some of the recipes that you done? I've noticed that you smoke the meat usually after the sous vide cook. Yeah. That's one of the big back and forths that happens on the Facebook groups. And I, I'm with you. I've done it both ways. I've done it so many different ways. Um, I've found that cooking the meat sous vide first, chilling it in a nice bath or even let it chill overnight, put it on the smoker wet, add a little bit more seasoning and then spritz it, you know, while it's, you know, two or three hours smoking and it gets back up to that sous vide temperature. It comes out perfect. One of the big arguments is, you know, people, Oh, I smoke it first and then sous vide it. And then it's like, <laughs> but it doesn't even make any sense to me because you know, the person, the purpose of sous vide is to, you know, cook it over a long period of time at a set temperature, you know, the, the degree of doneness that you want it at at the end so that you can break down that connective tissue and make it as moist and tender as possible. So why are you going to heat it up first and start the cooking process and then do this long process to, you know, to make it perfect. And then, you know, like searing it in the beginning and then putting it into a bag and sous it, you're losing that, that beautiful crust. So, you know, that's why I prefer to do it at the end. Uh, like you mentioned, a water bath is, is key to sous I think. 
because you're, you know, you're shocking the meat, you're dropping the temperature immediately to a safe level, but it's also giving you room to play with whenever you hit the smoker or grill, because say you've cooked a steak perfectly, you've sous vide it perfectly to 129 or 132 degrees for medium rare, and you go directly out of that water bath to the grill, and by the time you get a good sear on that steak, the internal temperature is up to 138, 140. So you've gone through all that effort of of getting it to a perfect medium rare and then just shot right past that on the grill. Whereas if you throw it into a 50-50 ice and water bath, drop that temperature, then you've got time to, you can even do a reverse sear on the steak to be able to cook it over indirect heat for a little bit, get maximum smoke penetration to give it some additional flavor after the sous vide bath, and then sear it over direct heat for a beautiful crust. Right. I mean, I get into this argument all the time because people will think that the smoke will penetrate deep into the meat while it's cooking sous vide. And, you know, I always revert back to, you know, one of Meathead's articles about, um, you know, how smoke works, you know, it doesn't work that way. It's yeah. not going to get deep into yeah. the meat. It's mostly a surface, you know, uh, surface treatment, just like most of your seasonings are. And then yeah, on the other hand, you have people say, well, they shouldn't season before the sous vide cook because, you know, it doesn't go into the meat. Well, it still seasons the surface of the meat. So, um, so yeah. people get some weird ideas yeah. in their head. It's all, it all goes down to personal preference, but. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like barbecue, you know, there's a million people that will tell you to cook it, rough, get fat side down. And there's another million that'll tell you, you got to cook it fat side up. You know, everyone's got an opinion, but if it works for you, do it like that. No. That's what I always say. I said, you know, here's why I do what I do. And here's how I, you know, it turns out this way for me. And this is how I like it. And here's why I think that way. And I'll, you know, throw articles from Amazing Ribs, you know, 90% of the time, the information I get from Amazing Ribs. And I say, here's why, if you see yeah. what Dr. Blonder says about this stuff and that, and then personally, I've done it this way and I've done it the other way. And this way it turns out better for me, but you can do it the way you like yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to win that argument again. You know, it's there would probably only be one barbecue cookbook in the world if there was only one way to cook stuff, you know? But there's thousands of, of rib recipes out there because there's a thousand different ways you can do them, and they all taste good at the end. Yeah, and that's kind of my thought is, you know, different cooking methods, you don't, they don't have to stand alone, and... You don't have to just cook your ribs the three two one method, you know. I can make yeah. decent ribs without doing it the three two one method, you know. I can do it probably eight yep. different ways and have it come out to where if I, you sat down in front of these eight slabs of ribs, you couldn't tell the difference between how I cooked one or the other, and they're all going to be delicious. Sure. Yeah, I agree. So you, we talked a little bit offline about the uh, international sous vide conference that's coming up in july and you're hoping to be able to make it over there yeah. with meathead um yeah meathead will definitely be there and my goal is to make it for the last day or the last two days depending on 
how some other plans can be rearranged. Yeah, I was supposed to make it out there that uh, I had too much going on this year. They kind of invited me like after I had all these other plans, but I hope to make it out there next year. But um, I know Jason and Mike real well, and we they were actually on my podcast last week discussing that. So um, Jason's got a lot of experience. He's written a bunch of books on sous vide, and they're excited to have Meathead and you out there, that's for sure. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty yeah. big conference for the first one that they've ever had. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great to see all the love that, that sous vide is getting these days. It's definitely exciting. Do you get to go out and do speaking engagements too, or is Meathead kind of do that all himself? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of depends. I, I travel a bit during the year, uh, you know, I, try to go to all the major barbecue contests during the year, uh, not only just to catch up with friends, but to shoot video and do interviews and to network and things like that. Uh, you know, I do some television cooking segments, things like that, but no, I don't really, I don't speak at very many conferences. I've got this, slow southern drawl so it's kind of <laughs> hard to hype people up when you're a slow talking southerner like me uh meathead's got that chicago going for him so yeah and he's much more interesting to listen to than i am so when you go to these conferences with meathead are you usually there just for backup to help cook or or what what usually goes on when you guys are out there together uh yeah we haven't we haven't had a chance to do a conference together yet so this sous vide one would be definitely be a lot of fun uh well no i take that back we did the uh, grill grates event a couple years ago down in the bahamas together so you know it was fun for him and i to actually be able to cook together and kind of riff off of each other because we're both both pretty uh pretty creative when it comes to cooking on the grill. So he had some neat techniques that that he broke out and I've got a few of my own. So it's fun to play off of each other. So do you have to get up to Chicago to meet with him much or do you guys just kind of do everything by the phone and email and all that? Or? Yeah, pretty much just virtually. I mean, that's, that's the way that a lot of business is going these days and especially with, with the website. I mean, there's really no reason that that we need to be face to face during the week, you know, when we're running a website. So, you know, we're, t we're talking either by email or by phone pretty much five days, six days a week, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other, fixing issues with the site, coming up with some new creative content. Something's always going on between us. Yeah, and you don't need to be face-to-face -to, -face to do a lot of that stuff. That's for sure. Not anymore. No, it benefits him. He doesn't have to look at my ugly <laughs> face all day. So. Were you able to get to the HPB uh, convention down in Dallas this year? Or? I was not. Uh, it's been a couple years since I've been able to go. It's, uh, you know, I 
I always seem to be busy around that time of year. Something's always going on, so it's hard for me to to make it. We usually try to get somebody to the hearth and patio show, though, just to to shake hands and see what's new out there, and you know, just to to keep a dialogue going with all the manufacturers. Yeah, I think Max went down there this year, from what I understand. Yeah, he's usually there. He's uh, He's the main face when it comes to outdoor cookers and AmazingRibs.com. Yeah, I've seen, I've read a bunch of his reviews, so I know he he goes over them with a fine-tooth comb usually. Oh, yeah. He's the only person in the world that whose full-time job is rating and reviewing barbecue grills and smokers, so that's a pretty cool job to have. So what is your favorite thing to to sous vide and grill well to me one of the favorite things i like to do is chickens actually i like to you know take a spatchcock chicken cook it at like 148 degrees for three or four hours and then toss it on the um either the pellet grill or the kamado you know just to get some smoke and get the skin crisped up I, I found yeah. it doesn't dry the chicken out as much as just cooking it on the grill. It retains a lot. Yeah. Uh, I found that it's it retains a lot of the moisture, and it's kind of like, from what I understand, it's like the stall. It's like the evaporative cooling, since the internal temp of the yeah. of the chicken is at a steady, stable temperature. Once you throw it on that hotter grill, it doesn't rise as fast as if it would if you threw it on cold and I don't know why it is, I, you know, I, I think I can figure it's something mm-hmm. to do with similar to the stall on a brisket or a pork butt is it's that adaptive cooling where yeah. it gets to a certain temperature and it just kind of sits there for a while, you know? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I like chicken is probably one of my favorite. I like to do pork, pork butt a lot. I do that for, you know, get togethers and stuff all the time and people okay. rave about it. So, um, yeah, beef ribs, yeah, I think the most interesting one that that I've done is bottom round roast because you know the I've got the recipe on on amazing ribs, but you know if anything kind of speaks to what sous vide Q can be, it is the bottom round roast because it's a dirt cheap cut of beef that really isn't good any way that you cook it. You know, it just has no fat in it, uh, doesn't work well with a slow cooker, doesn't work well over direct high heat, but throw it into a temperature-controlled water bath for a long time and let all that connective tissue break down and you know, let it become tender and then finish it off with some direct heat and smoke. It's, I mean... I would compare it to filet mignon when it's done. It's, it's funny you say that because my favorite thing that my wife likes that I cook, if you would ask that, yeah. I would have told you top round because it's okay. cheap. Like you said, it's just like bottom round roast, It's but it's tough if you try to cook it traditionally. Yeah. But you throw that in the sous vide at 132 degrees for 36 or 48 hours it comes out yeah. fillet tender and I can toss it on the grill and still comes out medium rare and mm-hmm. nice and tender and get a nice char on it. And she loves that. I mean, that's her favorite thing. And it's, 
I mean, it's not ribeye. It's not, you know, beef ribs. I mean, she just loves that. Yeah, but I, I guarantee if you sliced it and put it on somebody's plate that didn't know what the cut was and how you cooked it, they would say that it's filet mignon or, you know, a, a really expensive tender cut right. of beef. Finalis or something like that. So yeah, it's that's the only thing that, like you said, there's just not a lot of fat on it. So there's not a a ton of flavor, yeah. but it's still. I mean, you could take. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, now I, I've never really liked yeah. eating London broil or top round before until I got the sous vide. So, but now my wife's like, make that. I like that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. But yeah, I, I like experimenting with things. I like to make, you know, beef ribs and make them medium rare and make them super tender. So, mm. Yeah. And the other thing that we didn't really touch on, we touched on, on quick chilling food after, after sous vide it. But the other great benefit of that is that you can get all of your food cooked to perfection ahead of time if you're having a bunch of people over for dinner or whatever you know whereas if you're cooking a pork butt or a brisket or even ribs just doing them on the smoker now you can end up with guests waiting around for three or four hours because that brisket was stuck in the stall longer than you expected but if you sous vide it first and then throw it in a ice water bath you can put it in the fridge for a couple days when the guests get there, put it on the smoker over indirect heat. You don't have to get it back up to 200 degrees or whatever, you know, just so it's warm enough that it's got a pleasant mouthfeel and it's got some smoke. Exactly. And it, it makes your life a whole lot easier. Yeah, and that's another thing that really got me excited about CV is back, you know, a couple of years ago, he had all these barbecue temperature controllers that people are using for their, you know, uh, smokers and, and the Kamado yeah. grills, you know, all these two, $300 temp controllers so they could sleep during yeah. the night, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to spend 80 bucks on a sous vide machine and don't have yeah. to worry about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things out there. And like I said, I, I've i loved, since I've been playing around with sous vide and barbecue, I, I love cooking regular barbecue as well. And, you know, it's it's just another option. And I think once people figure out that they can combine the two and there's so many different ways you yeah. can, you know, they start to get tight. That's why it's growing so well. But um, I really appreciate you having, yeah. on, having you on. And I, I really appreciate all the articles that you've done on sous vide and barbecue on the website, because like I said, I, I took a lot of inspiration from that. And, um, you know, it was one of the first things. And one of the things I always suggest to people go to, not just the sous vide Q section, but also to some of the other sections, like I, you know, we talked about, you know, how smoke works and, and all that stuff that amazing ribs is just really good at taking that myth. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, some of the, you know, one of the things that Meathead's really big on is, you know, knocking those, you know, myths to the to the ground and just say, look, yep. you know, here's why this is this and that. So it's uh, Amazing Ribs is a really great um, resource. Um, that's one of the biggest things I always suggest people go to uh, check out. And 
your articles on the sous vide queue uh, are another reason I go there as well and send people there. So, well, I appreciate it, and definitely folks should check out the Pitmaster Club as well because there's a lot of great dialogue that goes on behind the scenes among members, and a lot of them are are really really uh, knowledgeable about the sous vide process as well. So it's it's fun to get in there and kick around ideas with like-minded folks. Yeah, I think the Pitmaster Club is probably one of the most um, well worth it things I can think of out there. I think it's, what, $24 a year or something? Yeah, it's and very it's, little compared to what you get out of it and Oh yeah, it's it's. I spend that on you know a month on stupid stuff that I don't ever use. But yeah, the Pitmaster Club is for for what uh, you have to pay for it is is amazing, and and you just get so much stuff you know from it. You can you can, you know you can get as much or as little out of it as you want. But there's so many, uh, like you said, people on there with knowledge besides you know you and me head, but. Uh, yeah. there's so much information in the pitmaster club that um, you can sit there for, you know, months at a time and not get through it all. So, Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how I learned how to cook competition style barbecue back in the day, going to forums like that and picking people's brains because, you know, like 10, 12 years ago, you didn't have all the, the competition barbecue shows or, you know, there's, a cooking class, any direction you can throw a stone in, you're going to hit a competition barbecue cooking class. So, you know, they're definitely great places to go and, and learn from other people. And that's what all these, uh, you know, barbecue competition guys do on the off season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they teach cooking classes. Yeah. It's a good source of income. And they definitely know what they're doing. Right. Well, I want to thank you again for joining me and um, I'm glad we got to squeeze this in and I look forward to having Meathead on when he gets back from the sous vide conference in July. He promised me he'd come on and we could discuss sous vide and barbecue a little bit more, but um, I really want to thank you for your wealth of information and all that you do for amazing ribs. And again, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Darren. And we will talk again soon. I'm sure we will. Thanks again. And thanks for joining us, guys. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us on the Fire and Water Cooking YouTube channel. And I will talk to you again. Well, thanks for listening to this episode, guys. I want to thank Clint Cantwell again from Amazing Ribs. Make sure you check out AmazingRibs.com for all your barbecue and sous vide queue information. Follow the Fire and Water Cooking channel on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.